Let's take our Bibles up and read at two places in Numbers. Numbers 25, first of all, and then Numbers 31. Considering the history here of Balaam, Balak, and Israel waited at the edge of the promised land that God has given them, they're waiting to go and possess the possession. Something happens at that time that needs to be said. That's why the Bible records this incident. And why the Bible records this incident is also for us, the Church of the New Testament. Let us hear very carefully what God says here in Numbers 25. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, might have been a mountain, Peor, we're not sure, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. While they were weeping, weeping seems to be with repentance that they had committed this sin and now the Lord was chastising them. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin, a spear, in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with a Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of the father's house, a father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zer. He was head of the people of a father's house in Midian. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites and attack them, for they have harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter 
of a leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. Thus far we read from Numbers 25. Just want you to uh, go back to 24 and verse 25 where we read that Balaam rose after he tried to curse uh, Israel and departed and returned to his place. Balak, the king of Moab, also went his way. Now we read in Numbers 31 something not different, but something that gives us a little more insight into Balaam. Balaam, uh, the Israelites are battling against the Midianites in Numbers 31. In verse 15, Moses says this. He says to the people, have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. Now, that's what I want you to see. This Balaam who is described in Numbers 24 as having gone to his place, lingered a while to give counsel to Balak in how he might nevertheless defeat Israel. And that is, he gave counsel uh, uh, to, to Balak to cause the people to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. That is, he counseled them to be seduced, to bring out the, the babes of Midian, and to cause Israel's men to be seduced by them. And then there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord, and then Moses says, Now therefore kill every male among the little ones, and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. That's as far as we'll go. Numbers 25 and verse 31, uh, chapter 31. We're going to be considering what I would call the seduction of Balaam, at this time, and want to link this up with the sermon of tonight, and really to remind you that there are two mysteries, two great mysteries in the sermons that we want to present to you in preaching and believe and be edified by. The first, which will be that tonight's sermon, is the mystery of godliness. That's uh, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, we've, we've considered that before. I wanted to revisit that. The mystery of godliness, that's Christmas. God was manifest in the flesh. And that, of course, is the focus of, of all of our life, not just Christmas time, but all of our life, even when there's a, another sermon like this morning's that is not directly on the mystery of godliness. In fact, in Numbers 25 and Numbers 31, is the revelation of the mystery of ungodliness. Ungodliness. The people of God on the shores of the Jordan River, just about to enter the land, you think having been sanctified by all of their wilderness wandering and the chastisement of the Lord, are nevertheless seduced to fornicate with the Midianitish women and to behave as if they are not the people of God. This is a great mystery. How could the people of God sin in such a way? And how could the people of God sin in such a way when they know that their God is with them? Oh, beloved, so we want to consider here 
this mystery of ungodliness under the theme, the seduction of Balaam. But I want us to consider this, of course, as it applies to us. There's references in the New Testament to the sin and the doctrine of Balaam, the seduction of Balaam, and all for our learning. Because right at the edge of the promised land, right as those to whom it's been revealed that God is our God, we would be cavorting with the Midianites or the Moabites or anyone else who has a sensual pleasure that we might seek after. And so we want to consider this sober reality of the mystery of ungodliness, even among the people of God. In this, I pray not that we might be led into a, 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 a downward spiral of depression, but that we might be led all the more to consider God's own mystery of godliness. And so the seduction of Balaam, want to consider first of all the, the terrible compromise, really. That's what I would summarize this sin of the people of God. It's a compromise. But then we want to consider the consequences of this. 24,000 Israelites are killed at this time. And then finally, the Christ, the Christ here. And he's not hard to find as Jesus in this incident. He always is in these incidents. These are his records of history. Phinehas is the Christ here, the great one who is zealous for the cause of God and who has given a covenant of peace and an everlasting priesthood because of his faithfulness. This uh, incident here in Numbers 25 further elaborated upon in Numbers 31, other places in the Bible, Old and New Testament, has been called the nadir of Numbers, N-A-D-I-R, the low point. And you might think, well, what about the sin at Sinai? where the people worship the golden calf right while they're receiving the revelation of God and the Old Covenant. Oh, beloved, here is something often forgotten that's like unto the sin of Israel at Sinai. Israel is led into immorality and idolatry, and they're seduced into thinking that these things are okay, but they're not. Let's remind ourselves of what's going on here. Remember that Numbers 22 through 24 is the record of the history of Balaam enlisted, hired by Balak, the king of Moab, because Israel is seen as a threat to Moab. Balaam is hired as a renowned magician or necromancer or witch or whatever you want to call it, a sorcerer to curse the people of God. That's the theme of Numbers 22 through 24. Balaam is hired by Balak the king to curse the people of God. And you know that the story, and in two sermons we've been considering this, fascinating really, and so lovely because Balaam 
cannot curse the people of God. And he says that, and he's led by the Holy Spirit himself to say this, and this is recorded in the Bible, because God will not have his people cursed. The shout of a king is among them. God does not see iniquity in Jacob nor perverseness in Israel. There's going to be a star that comes from Jacob and a scepter rising out of Israel. That's Jesus. So Balaam cannot curse what God has blessed. That's the story here. The true story here. The dumbass and all speaking to the rebuke of Balaam who's trying to curse Israel no matter what. The angel of the Lord that's revealed here, they're all speaking the same thing. The God of Israel is the God of Israel. He will remain that way forever. So you cannot curse what God has blessed. But now, it seems that Balaam has another thought. He's convinced by the time of the three or four prophecies that he makes that, right, he cannot, he cannot himself curse Israel. But he has another idea. Maybe it can be that the Israelites themselves will bring the curse of God upon themselves. So Balaam would not be privileged to curse them, privileged to curse them, how, how strange. But the Israelites themselves, they might just show that they're not worthy of the favor of God. And so what Balaam does is give counsel to the king of Moab, Balak, to enlist Moabites and Midianites, whatever babes they can find, whatever beauties, to seduce the Israelite men to commit fornication with them. And that's exactly what happens. Exactly. And the judgments of God come upon the people of God. And it seems as if it's just as Balaam had said and as he had counseled Balak. And so he might not be able to curse them, but now God, he thinks, is cursing this people whom he calls his. And so there's a shift of tactics. There is the outright commandments to, to curse Israel. They will not work. But then there's the subtle thing of making friends with the people of God and luring them to think, you know, our idolatry is not so bad, even though we worship other gods, because with it, you can have fun. With it, you can engage in all kinds of sexual acts that you know the commandments of God won't let you do. But here, here, Israel, it's been a long time in the wilderness. You need a break. Here are our women. You've got to worship the gods. You've got to eat things offered to idols. But here are our women. And look, it works. Israel here is guilty of a terrible, terrible sin. And really, beloved, it's about compromise. About the compromise of being the people of God and at the same time doing things, believing things, acting like 
They're not the people of God, so distinctive. Remember that one of the prophecies of Balaam was, Israel shall dwell safely alone. They're different. They are different. And all of their laws, if you think of the Old Covenant, were designed to remind Israel they're, they're different. They can't eat unclean food because they're different. Different from the world, not only, but from the worldlings. They can't have two kinds of, of fabric in their clothing because this was a way that they were told that they were distinct. They're not of the world. They're of God. This is the promise of Abraham. This is the promise of God and the commandments of God on Sinai. This is the people of God. They're God's holy people, a kingdom of priests. And in the land of Canaan, they're going to be that way. But here they compromise. And the compromise is to be in and out of things holy. It's to be half holy. It's to be on the fence, not only with regard to doctrines, but with regard to practices. It's going to be, it's to be a Monday through Thursday and, and maybe Sunday Christian, but Friday and Saturday night are my night sort of Christian. It's to be a Christian in public and certainly to keep the elders off your back and so on, but privately, that's my life. I get to do what I want and nobody sees, you think, not even God. It's what's been called in the Bible, in so many words, antinomianism. That is a big word to describe those who think they're the people of God and they're under grace and therefore the law of God and, and holiness, strict holiness anyway, isn't required of us anymore. And in fact, it's beneath the dignity of people who say we believe in grace, free grace. And you don't have to merit anything with God to, to earn something like heaven. This is Calvinism. This is the Reformed faith after all. We are not under the law, and therefore its obligations are not something we must keep. Well, beloved, this was the sin that Jude pointed out in chapter 1. There's only one chapter, verse 4. When there are people who had crept into the congregation who were turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That is, into an excuse to do immoral things. That was their sin. Paul confronted the people who might be thinking that his doctrine of free grace in Romans led to free sin and partying, especially with Moabite and Midianitish women. When he said in Romans 6, what shall we sin then that grace may abound? Remember, he just said, it's all of grace, it's all of grace. He's going to continue that. That's the theme. And now he's getting into holiness. And a great excuse that people make is because of grace, we are free to do what we want. In fact, it points out just how great grace is when we're forgiven, even when we've sinned and we have a hangover, and that reminds us of how good God is to forgive us. It's a compromise here for the sake of what Balaam was all about, money, pleasure, entertainment, Self-gratification here manifest in sexual sin and abuse. 
It was a transgression of what uh, the apostle says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15, is an unequal yoke. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, Paul says there in Corinth, where the saying was at that time to Corinthianize was to prostitute oneself with the prostitutes. The Corinthians were doing that. And Paul says, no, you're not to be joined to the world. And yes, you say, well, I'm, I'm not just doing the deed, I'm just watching the porn. It's the same thing. Exact same thing. Different degrees, but the same sin. The compromise. God says to this people, be holy. The second generation should have learned the lesson of the fathers, all of whom died in the wilderness except a couple. Be holy. Be holy. Be separate. And they were thinking, as some have said, transgression of the seventh commandment is, it's a fun sin. No consequences, as long as they don't hurt anybody. Have fun. Well, the love of the devil is behind it all. Balaam is an agent of the devil, and so are the Yvettes, I would call them. The Midianitish women's, the Eve daughters, who were not real daughters of Eve because she was a child of God, but lewd daughters of Eve, which are, we should know, all daughters of Adam and Eve, unless they be born again. Balaam is said here and said in another place in Peter and in Psalms and so on to have put a stumbling block, that is, to put at the feet of the Israelites in their pathway something that would trip them up. That's what a stumbling block is. It's like a trigger for a trap. In the trap, there's bait, just like you fish. You bait the hook, excuse me, or you use a lure. The bait to sin is something that kind of looks good. And you don't see the hook behind it because this thing looks good and this thing that looks good is covering up what you just kind of suspect is behind it, something that's going to hook you, but you just take the bait. Well, these Moabitish women, they knew how to bait the men, to strut their stuff, to drape themselves over the cars they were advertising, as we hear of today. There's a verse in Psalm 106, and verses 28 through 31. It's amazing. As you get into this history, you realize that the whole Bible is like one commentary of, of this uh, sordid history of, of Israel in Numbers. Psalm 106, 28 through 31. They joined themselves also to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead, or it could be a reference to the dead idols of Baal. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them, and Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped, and that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. 
But I want to point out from a, uh, a verse like Psalm 106, in light of Numbers 24, that there was a, there was a, a kind of a progress here in sin. Something subtle here was going on. The people just didn't all of a sudden look at the babes. There was something that prepared them to be receptive of these temptresses. And I find that, first of all, in the word in Numbers 25, verse 1, that is translated remained. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. That is, the women of Moab invited the Israelites to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was roused against Israel. The first word I want to say to you indicates a kind of a progress in sin here is that Israel was remaining now in the wilderness, not camping. There's a different word that describes the other times that Israel is temporarily in a certain place in the wilderness. Remember they camped from place to place and they pitched their tents and God in the Shekinah glory would show himself to be with them and wanting them to be with him as they camped around him. It's a kind of verb that describes a people on the move and that will be on the move until they come to the promised land. It's something that the Apostle Peter would remind his people and us in 1 Peter 1 when he says, you are pilgrims and strangers in this world. We are pilgrims and strangers. And this is relevant to what we're going to say in application to ourselves. So listen carefully. There's a difference between remaining in a place and simply camping out. For the remaining here that they are engaged in, in Acacia Grove, whatever that place is, is the occasion for the people to begin to commit harlotry with the women of Moab and then to go to their idol worship. The remaining is a kind of abiding. It's a kind of joining oneself to the place and a forgetting that one is not to be here very long. After all, the promise is we're going to go on the other side of the Jordan, not too far from there. And we're going to people, be the people of God there. In fact, the destiny of the people of God was only to be the people of God there in the land that was promised. Picture of the kingdom of heaven. Picture of heaven itself. But the people of Israel were content here. Thank you. This is a nice place to be. And so when the babes were rolled out, when they strutted out, they were sitting ducks because, as is so often the case with us, they were at the wrong place at the wrong time. You ever think of that? You go through your life, oh man, what's going on in my life now? Why am I here? Why is God not showing his favor to me? I, I just don't know how to pray anymore. And so, well, Maybe it's because three steps back, three days, three weeks, months, years behind that. You started remaining 
in this world and abiding in this world as if it were your home. And when you abide in this world, you will not appreciate the God of the other world, of the unseen world. Are you like that? And that's the beginning of sensuality. Think of Eve. Adam and Eve, their first sin was the sin of sensualists. They saw that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good to eat. They just, they began seeing things. Not believing the God of his word. So when we abide in Acacia Grove, Comstock Park, Byron Center, Rockford, Grand Rapids, wherever you hail from, when we abide there, and we're not pilgrims there, we've gotten ourselves in a wrong place. The place itself doesn't matter. It's the attitude. I'm not on the move. And look what happens. The people, they were there, and according to Psalm 106, the people joined themselves also to Baal of Peor. They joined themselves. They joined themselves. And they ate sacrifices made to the dead. And Hosea, that's another passage that quotes this. Hosea chapter 9 and verse 10 says, they separated themselves to that shame of loving the abomination that was before them. So they're abiding when they should be marching and ready to go. Then they're joining themselves, even separating themselves. They will only be joined to that, and we're no longer really the, the people of God. We're just content to be the people and who can enjoy this world. And then they love and are consecrated to these things and this activity. That's what happens. And this is an application to ourselves before we move on to the, the second point. There's so much that could be said here. This people is a compromised people. And their sin of the sexual promiscuity is connected with idolatry. As one has described idolatry and immorality, it's like a duet that's been sung ever since the fall. Immorality, evil conduct connected with idolatry. The worship of false gods goes together. Because when you know you have another god, his standard becomes yours. And your standard, as you stand in Adam, which means to fall in Adam, is whatever is in it for me. And that invariably leads itself into all kinds of living with stuff and for stuff, and with people who make you comfortable in that lifestyle. And then the ultimate is the sensual debauchery. This is terrible. This is terrible. The people of God here were acting out what would later be a, a watchword for a fallen and apostate Israel. They were acting out the harlot in their own harlotry because their physical adultery and lasciviousness was a picture of their spiritual forsaking their husband who is God. Oh, 
Turns out, as one commentator has said, and we know it's so true, friendship, the friendship of the world is far more dangerous than the enmity of the world. Think of that. Hey, come on. Join us. Join us. Sit down, good-looking man, good-looking woman. Sit down. Stay in my house a little while. It's a breaking of the covenant. In fact, at this time, they worship the god of Baal. Baal is the god of fertility. He was the, for the economic prosperity of the farmer, the strength of kings, and the fertility of the women. That's how one has described Baal. He was this god to whom if you sacrifice and you do things right, say things right, play your cards right, he will bless your fields, he will bless your kings, he will bless your battles, he will bless your women, you will be in this way blessed. Israel fell for it. For what had their God, after all, done to them for 40-some years and to their parents? He's just given them a wilderness. And you see, it's, it's as if the land of Canaan, right on the other side of the Jordan, right near, was just a theory to them. We'll just abide here a while. That other place, even though it's the prescribed place, even though it's the land of milk and honey and, and a blessing of God, that's just a theory for now. And as far as we know forever, we'll just abide here. And it's fun. What happened? What happened? Well, God simply acted like God. He does not punish sin except to, or behold sin except to punish it. In fact, strikingly here, after it's said that Balaam couldn't curse God, Israel's joined to Baal of Peor and worshiping and fornicating like the best of them, that the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And that word means kindled. That means that God's wrath was ablaze at this time against Israel. The people whom Balaam could not curse are now having a problem with their God, who seems to be about to curse them though Balaam could not. And so, here's the calamity. The leaders say to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang them. Hang them before the Lord. Hang them! You see, theirs was a different court system in those days. Theirs was righteousness. They need 14 years to convict somebody of first-degree murder when he has a smoking gun in his hand. And they actually exercised capital punishment. That's righteousness. Even for nations. That's what governments ought to do. I know it's complicated. But what's not complicated 
is the will of God. Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And they did. He said to those judges. Now, interesting. One of the judgments of God at this time was no doubt that he gave them over to their sins. And we don't know how long they were here, how long they were doing this. But at this time, if you read Numbers 25 and 6, you read that strange history of one of the children of Israel coming and presenting to his brethren a Midianite woman. Look at my showpiece here. In the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who are weeping at the door of the tabernacle. And what they did at that time is they went right to at least maybe their tent into the back room of the tent, their bedroom, and started fornicating. Or it could be that they went right into the tent of meeting where they were assembling, right in the church, in the fellowship hall. They were so brazen. And this one, we read later on, was a leader of, in the house of Simeon. And this one of Midian was a priestess being groomed to be a promoter of the Baal religion and so on. And it was right out in the open. No shame. It had become something commonplace. And that's exactly what God has delivered the apostate church to in our day. Beloved, if you don't know about it, you should. It's a terrible world out there and a terrible church world. Not every church, but this is the way it's going, the way of compromise. In the preaching, in the messages, in the methods, in the lifestyle of go those who go by the name people of God, there is a bit of idolatry. Just a bit. And a bit of fornicating. And a bit of this and that which spells compromise. Often substituted for righteousness and seeking the things above is the seeking to make up for that and being good to the neighbor, maybe in society. But promoting the holiness of God in preaching and theology and in living according to that, according, as we'll see tonight, to godliness? No. It's see a little bit of godliness and a little bit of ungodliness that, of course, doesn't go by the name of ungodliness. It's freedom. It's that bad. And... Only one apparently saw it, at least right away, and did something about it, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer. But more on, and we'll get to that in the third point. The second point, I want to just remind you that this is a consequence here of the sin of the people. And this can be puzzling to us. Because after all, they go by the name people of God. I would dare say that every one of those who committed the sin of uh, Baal Peor here was a reprobate, but I can't be sure. 
just like I'm not exactly sure if everyone who perished in the wilderness before them was a reprobate. But for us to learn and not to try to peer into the secret things of God, these are reprobate sort of sins. And God is angry with this people here for the sake of the whole, for the sake of the elect among them, his real people. He's going to chastise, he's going to keep them from further evil and the children from further evil. He will not have it. Because what's happening is there's a little leaven in the whole lump. There's a little cancer in the left lung. And what do you do with a little leaven in the whole lump that you don't want to be so leavened? You take it out or you start over again. What do you do with a little cancer? Baby it? Saying it's just little? No. You zap it or take it out or whatever so it doesn't grow and kill you. There is here the discipline of the Lord upon this congregation. Severe. They've been giving themselves so much to this cavorting with the women, and they're going to be the people of God. The showcase of God's own trophy brought out of Egypt, they're going to be the people of God to show off the God of the people who's holy? How can that be? But God, you see, not going to have it. So we call this maybe church discipline. Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang them. And then take all the ones who were, who, who were guilty of of the offense, and then all the ones who were involved in it, men and women and the boys later on that will be the Midianites there to kill, Numbers 31. You might say it's ruthless. No, it's holiness. You see, commentators find, and I, I, I agree with them, there's a transgression here of covenant and faithfulness that just cannot be tolerated by the jealous God. Remember back in Genesis 15 when God had made covenant with Abraham? And there were pieces of animals that were to be cut and put on either side of this, this narrow way through which God alone traveled. That was to show what would happen if the people transgressed the covenant. will be cut to pieces. That's what God was showing there. You're going to be cut to pieces. You're going to be killed, dismembered, and this in public so that everybody knows I'm holy and I will not be messed with. This is going on here. It used to be in places in America even, there would be public pillorying posts and all of these places where people would be hung. And now it's not politically correct. But it's to warn the people that they have to do with a holy God. So church discipline, the announcement of church discipline. God willing, it won't happen. The announcement of names, that's for our good. 
and be glad that we have righteous elders and a righteous congregation that says this is how it must be so. It's not just the Old Testament, it's the New Testament. Phinehas, though, Phinehas, what an amazing person. Grandfather of Aaron, the priest. He sees it, and that's telling in verse 7. He, he sees this. He sees this man and this woman, and he takes a spear in his hand, and he goes after the man of Israel into the tent, theirs or the tent of meeting, and while they're in the act, he thrusts them both through so that they're stuck together. You can imagine it. And together, they die in their sin. This was a picture of Jesus. And this is what we read of in later on in verse 8. The plague was stopped among the children of Israel. Those who died of the plague were 24,000. But through this... There was atonement made, verse 13. Because he was zealous for his God, he made atonement for the children of Israel. Amazing. Before we get to Jesus, of course, we have to commend Phinehas for his zeal. But in this, he's like Jesus. Phinehas is said to have zeal for the cause of God. Anybody among us have zeal for the cause of God anymore? Anyone burning? You know what zeal is? It's so being consumed by the cause of God that nothing will get in the way. So being consumed by the word of God that we're going to read it and we're going to live by it. So be concerned with the institutions of God, the church of Jesus Christ, the communion of the saints, the discipline, the sacraments and so on, that we're going to be holy in our use of them and committed in our giving to them. That's what zeal is. Finna has had it. And for this, a covenant of peace was made with him, verse 12, and his descendants after him, there be an everlasting priesthood. Amazing. And this, I say, is a type of Jesus. Phinehas is a type of Jesus Christ, like unto Melchizedek. Interesting here. In the tribe of Israel, not from Salem and, and this without a name sort of guy, except for Melchizedek, Phinehas, Phinehas, who makes atonement, offers a substitute in these criminals for the lives of the rest of the people God, of God, the plague is stayed. Well, that's Jesus, beloved. That's Jesus. And this is what the people of God is left with, a picture of the hope of Israel, Jesus, Jesus, who substitutes his life for ours, takes on our sin, that we might never be condemned of God. That's Jesus. So I leave you with this, beloved. This compromised people, nevertheless in this, led to the Christ was certainly taught by this what it is to be on God's side and what it is to be not. What it is to be not on God's side is certainly to be halfway on God's side. Are you halfway on God's side? Halfway? Do you take your spear and stab your own self? 
not talking suicide, but the mortification of the flesh. Is that how you deal with your sin? Do you with Job make a covenant with your eyes that you should not even behold a Midianite, Moabite, Comstock, Parkian, whatever sort of woman who's luring you and whom the devil is using the internet to lure you to fornicate and compromise. We have all ways that we can be sensual and half-hearted in our Christianity. One of the ways it shows is in our lack of militancy for the truth and for our godliness. Men, are you finahazes in your marriages, protecting your bride, jealous for your bride? Are you finahazes for your children? You want them to be raised in the fear of God. Are you finahazes in how you arrange the furniture? And how you look at the television and all of these things you do as an example one way or another to them. Are you finahazes even though you have to die for it? Well, then you're like Jesus. And that's what we want to be here at Sovereign Grace Church, like Jesus. We're not a compromised church. That won't do, will it? We're a holy church. That's our happiness, our delight. For God's sake, amen. Lord, we pray that you would bless us and we can truly be yours and not yours and the world's. How impossible that is. Lord, we pray to repent of this terrible ungodliness that's so natural to us that we might know the mystery of godliness in a living way. We pray, Father, as we go our way, may we go your way after the service and come back zealous, more zealous, because we thought upon the word, Lord. We thought about counting the cost. We thought about being champions, not simply mediocre as Christians, we thought about being sensitive to our own sins more so than we are to other sins. And we believe, Lord, that we are the chief of sinners. Lord, the ungodliness of Israel is ours. May we take heed to that and learn. Because you're the God who is always godly and who shows himself godly in his grace. We love you, Lord. Oh, forgive our sins. Forgive our brazen sins. Forgive our private sins. Forgive our slouching around in the slavery of our own depravity. And give us, Lord, to know the freedom of being sons and daughters of God, eager to enter the promised land. For Jesus' sake, amen.